Well, my name is Pat. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Church, and I've had the privilege, and it has been a privilege of uh, bringing the messages through the month of July, and we are at the end of our study of Galatians. So we will be finishing Galatians, I promise. I did it last hour. I can do it this one, too. Before we uh, dive into our text for today, I would like to mention the Growing in Christ class. That's kind of Christianity 101. So if you have some spiritual questions um, about God, about Christ, about what it means to be a Christian, uh, or if you've newly trusted Christ and you would like to know more about kind of how to live your life as a Christian person now, uh, perfect class is, is Growing in Christ. It'll be offered on Sunday morning, so super convenient. And if you would like to do that, or if you know someone who would benefit from that, um, sign up or sign them up and go with them to the class, uh, Growing in Christ. That's in the, uh, in the foyer. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't, you can certainly grab one of the pew Bibles underneath the chair in front of you. But we'll also have it, at, uh, have it up on the screen as well. And we're going to start in verse 19 of chapter 5. We left off last week in verse 18 of chapter 5. So let's continue. Verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Chapter 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work and then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. 
Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in the world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. Amen. Well, let's continue in prayer. Join me. Father, we're preparing to conclude our study of uh, your word in this book of Galatians. And I just ask as we finish this that we can finish it well, that uh, what we end with can help us uh, continue to make sense of everything that we've read thus far in the book, everything we've studied, and not just that we would gain knowledge, but that it would actually help us to live lives that honor you, that you are glorified by the choice-making of our lives. And that starts with the deliberations of our heart, the way in which we think, the things we decide are true about the world, about you, about your word. So guide us in truth. You tell us that you are truth, and so ask, we ask that you would guide us. Guide us in your truth today as we study your word. We all have one God. We're guided by one spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bring us to that truth, that we can affirm that you are honored and glorified through the teaching of your word today. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, well, I know that not everybody made every week of this series. It's summertime. People love to travel in summertime, and I'm no exception to that. So chances are you missed at least one week. So I wanted to review some of the takeaways from some of the weeks, and then I want to talk about the context of Galatians, because we're going to need that as we head into the uh, latter part of chapter 5. So a review of some of the takeaways. We had a few each week, and I just picked one of them from each of our weeks. The first one out of week one was, you are saved, saved to serve, not to sit. So if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, there should be a normal part of your life that is focused on investing in building the kingdom of God. Said another way, you should be serving somewhere in Christian ministry. You should be helping the church or a Christian ministry somewhere. That should be happening in your life, uh, even in a small way. So if there is nothing you can identify in your life where you're kind of giving back to the body of Christ, um, that's something that the word of God would encourage you move away from sitting and move into serving. Week two, we talked about the fear of people being a dangerous trap. So trusting in the Lord rather than trusting in the approval of people. Paul talked about that in the book uh, earlier, chapter two, when Peter was afraid of the gang that we're going to call the varsity team. We've called them the varsity team throughout this series. Uh, Paul called them the circumcision group, this group of super duper rule keepers, that, those guys. They intimidated Peter. They intimidated Barnabas. And so 
because of the fear that those men had of this group, they changed their direction, they changed what they were teaching, they changed worse, they changed how they were living, and it really harmed people around them. So uh, the encouragement here in light of that reality is avoid being afraid of people and rather put your trust in the Lord for your well-being, for your sense of being okay. How do you get your balance and feel okay? That needs to be found in the Lord. Week three, we had the question, how can you live more fully by faith and less by rules? So the Apostle Paul spends much of his time, maybe even most of his time in Galatians, tearing down rules. Rules don't have any place in the Christian life. It is only possible to please God by faith. So live more fully by faith. And the the question was, how, how can we do that? How can we start tearing down rules? And one of the ways I said that you can identify what rules need to be torn down in your life is are there any religious rules you have that prevent you from expressing the love of God to people who are lost and don't know Jesus? Any rules that you have in your life that that sort of segregate you away from a needy world, those are great rules to break. Break those rules in order to express the love of God to a world that needs his love. And week four, we are free. We talked last week about we are free, free indeed. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery. And the yoke of slavery is rule following. Don't go back to moral rules. So we are free to love. We are also free to sin. Why are we free to sin? Because as Romans 8.1 tells us, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He spends much of Galatians driving home the point. You are not saved by being good. You are saved because of faith in Jesus Christ. You don't stay saved because you're good. You stay saved because of faith in Jesus Christ. So from first to last, it's faith. It's all driven by faith. So we are free to love, but we are unfortunately also free to sin, which brings us to our study this morning. So your first, you have three blanks, I think, on your first stop on our outline. The back of your bulletin there is an outline. If you have something to write with, then you'll probably get more out of your outline. If not, I hope you have a photographic memory. Um, The first blank there is context. We're going to be talking about inheriting the kingdom of God. And to start that study, we need context. The second blank is context. And uh, for some of you who are prophetic, what's the third blank? Context, right? So it's context, 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 context. So if if you and I want to come away from the Word of God with some kind of teaching that we can have confidence in, we need to make sure that whatever we're walking away from Scripture with is grounded in context. And when we get into verses 19 and following, especially in 21 of this chapter 5, we need to be anchored in the context, the verses that surround the passage we're studying, the chapters that surround and the book that surrounds the teaching. Because we can have confidence that we're getting something true from the Word of God if we're able to follow some basic interpretational rules like context. So, with context, let's review. Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Who did he write it to? What group of people did he write it to? People who had to be convinced of the truth claims of Jesus Christ? People who were pre-believers? Or did he write it to church-going Christians? Church-going Christians, right? If you were here for that, we talked about that on on week one. 
So it's important, again, context. Who's he writing to? Who's his audience? What are, their, what are the assumptions about who he's writing to? So he's writing to a group of believers, believing people. Then why was he writing this book? Because he didn't have anything else to do? He was a busy man. He was doing all kinds of things. No, there was a problem, wasn't there, in these churches in Galatia. And he was so troubled by the problem in these churches that he had to write a letter to all of them. And that's the book of Galatians, the first book that he wrote that we have a record of. And what did he write? What was the trouble? If you remember, we talked on week one, week two, and week three. The, the gospel was getting distorted. Or, or he said, there's a gospel out there you're being taught that is a cursed gospel. It's leading to the curse of God visiting itself on the people who are obeying and following that gospel. And what was the distortion? And you remember it was being conveyed by who we've called the varsity team, these superstar Christians who are the smartest guys in the room, and they're convincing everyone that you need to be good and believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus and be good, and you're, you're going to be set. Make sure you follow all the right rules. Important, really important for this, guy, these, this group of guys to have circumcision as the leader of that, the first place in, that, in those rules. The distortion was that you need to add good works to faith in order for that faith to save you. That you have to add good works to your faith in order for that faith to save you. That having faith in Jesus isn't enough. That was the distortion of the gospel. So Paul writes this entire letter to change the teaching back to what he started with, which is, it's just faith. It's all by faith. There's no good thing you can do to secure your salvation, either to get it or to keep it. Good works, rule following, that's not part of bringing pleasure to God. Two verses that talk about Paul's concern about this distortion of the gospel. Verse 16 of chapter 2, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, moral rule-keeping. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. He also says in Galatians 3.3, How foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Again, two verses that help determine the direction of all of Paul's teaching. So context, context, context. He's writing to believers to correct a distortion in the gospel. The distortion in the gospel is you have to act, add good works to faith in order for faith to be saving faith. And that brings us to the point on last week's outline, which is the next point on your outline. What we follow determines what we produce. What we follow determines what we produce. Let's look at verse 19 now in our text for today. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So Paul brings an agricultural metaphor uh, into his teaching, and he talks about fruit, fruit bearing. Uh, the first person that we know of who talked about fruit that's fruit, um, good fruits or bad fruits is Jesus Christ. And Paul lists a whole bunch of them here. Fruits of the flesh, he starts out, or the sinful nature, as our translation renders that word. So all kinds of sins, but it's interesting that he says this isn't an exhaustive list. These are sort of sins, these sins, and then sins like these are all going to keep you from inheriting the kingdom of God. And the phrase living that kind of life in the Greek, the idea there is a habitual practice. That is, those people who keep coming back to these behaviors as sort of their normal, or that these behaviors are familiar to them in their day-to-day -day life. The people who make these sins a practice in their life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which brings us to the next point, which is an echo of the title of our message today. And if my message had a beating heart, this would be it. Inherit the kingdom of God. It's a command, an imperative. Inherit the kingdom of God. So, all that talk about context, <laughs> this is when I need you to use that context. Okay? So, we have this phrase, this troubling phrase for some believers. The phrase is, inherit the kingdom of God. So, when we read that, it's troubling because it seems like inheriting the kingdom of God may mean this, being saved from the penalty of hell. In fact, varsity team members insist that that's how this phrase should be interpreted, that inheriting the kingdom of God is the same as saying being saved from hell. So I need you to think with me. If you've spent any time in Galatians with us, what has Paul done in chapter 2, in chapter 3, in chapter 4, in chapter 5? What is the point he's trying to make? Why did he write the letter? He wrote the letter to disabuse the Christians in Galatia of their notion that rule-keeping was part of the Christian life. That he wanted them to identify that the rules that you were keeping were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, so you don't need rules anymore. When the varsity team members among us read that list of fruits of the flesh, they say to themselves, rightly, oh, those are all naughty behaviors. <laughs> those are all bad. And I don't do those sins, at least not the really bad ones, whatever that is. Those are all outside the rules. Those are lawless behaviors. And what Paul describes as fruits of the spirit are all good behaviors, right? Those are all inside the line. And so what Paul is teaching is that we need to live our lives inside the lines and make sure that we don't do those bad things that are outside the lines, or you'll go to hell. Really? So what Paul was teaching in chapters 2, 3, and 4, and 5, is that he wants us to destroy 
the hold of religious rules in our lives. And then we get to this verse, and he says, oh, and by the way, if you don't keep the rules, you go to hell. What? Really? That's what he said? Well, the varsity team would have you believe that. And if you remember last week, the varsity team used Paul when it helped them, and then they attacked Paul when it didn't. So this is an example of the varsity team using Paul. See, Paul said it. It's right here in black and white. They're using Paul to make their point, to make you a slave to their rules. If we insist that inheriting the kingdom of God means rule-keeping, that don't, don't do those naughty things, those, those sexual immorality, that's bad, wild parties, that's a sanitized translation. The Greek is much more graphic about what types of wild parties those are. Okay, sorcery, idolatry, th- those, are, those are bad things. Those are bad things. If we insist that inheriting the kingdom of God means, means being saved from hell, I would ask you, how much sin is too much sin? So the phrase in the Greek says, those who practice this type of sin, those who make it a habit, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if it means being saved from hell, then I'm going to go to hell if I make a practice of doing these sins and others like them. Unfortunately, he didn't list all of them. So I don't know what those ones are. That should create some, you should be disturbed, right? If, if inheriting the kingdom of God means that you're saved from hell. Okay? So, and varsity team members are perfect for this. Paul would have been perfect for this. When Paul starts his list with sexual immorality, well, I don't do that, right? And then impurity and lustful pleasures, well, I don't do that, right? Varsity team members, they're real churchy, right? They clean up real good. How about outbursts of anger? varsity team members. How about envy? How about jealousy? How about divisiveness and dissension? How about quarreling and starting fights? You do that? Ever? Well, maybe. Good, because First John says, if we claim that we don't have sin, the truth isn't in us. So fess up, varsity team members. Okay, fine. I am jealous sometimes, and I do envy sometimes. Okay, great. Well, if inherit the kingdom of God means saved from hell, then how much is too much? Well, I just do it once in a while. Okay, great. How much is once in a while? I hope you're right. I hope that your definition of what's okay matches God's definition of what's okay, right? Because you are doing that stuff. You are. Please, please nod your head. Yep, I do that stuff. I, I do that stuff. I do that stuff. Right, okay. So you do that stuff, now we're stuck. Now we're stuck. Now any limit that we decide, well, how much sexual immorality is is too much? How much will send me to hell? And how much will keep me in the kingdom of God? How much? It's an arbitrary limit. Who says you're right? How do you even know? Well, I don't know. I don't know how you know that this is... And this is this is okay. You're, I mean, how many mulligans do you get? I, I get I get this many. I'm, I'm sure sure of it, right? We get into some real trouble if we decide that inheriting the kingdom of God means being saved from hell. We're stuck. What happened to the gospel of grace? What happened to being free? Christ came to obliterate this. He fulfilled 
the law and the requirements of the law. And Paul spent his entire letter telling us to get rid of rules. So it can't mean saved from hell, can it? I'd love it if you were shaking your heads with me. It can't, it can't mean that, Pat. can't mean that. Because then we'd have to flush chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, right? We'd have to get rid of them all. And I'm not just talking about getting rid of verses. I'm talking about getting rid of whole chapters <laughs> of this book. We'd have to get rid of them if this means this. And it turns everything that Paul's been arguing on its head. No, no. Inheriting the kingdom of God can't mean being saved from hell. Because what Paul is listing here are behaviors. And being good doesn't rescue you from hell, does it? No, not ever. Paul said it earlier. We even touched on it today. doesn't matter how good you are. That will never rescue you from hell. So inheriting the kingdom of God can't mean being saved from hell. So the right question is, what does it mean? Because it, it is a troubling phrase. Because it seems like if I do bad things, I won't inherit the kingdom of God. That is the right question to ask. So let's be clear. As you leave today, your understanding of inheriting the kingdom of God and what that means can transform your Christian life. Because the varsity team members among us want to capture you and make you a slave, among other things, to fear. The fear that comes with not knowing how much is too much. That's a fear-based Christianity. That if I sin too much, I'll end up in danger of hell. That's the effect of the teaching of varsity team members. It makes you a captive to their rule keeping. That's dangerous. So inheriting the kingdom of God, that it transformed my life as a Christian person. I went into Moody Bible Institute as a varsity team member, card-carrying. I believed the distorted gospel, the gospel that comes with a curse. That's the gospel I believed as a Christian kid. I'd read a book by a really smart person who has a seminary and a radio program and a TV program, and he's wrote, written commentaries on the entire Bible. And he wrote this book, and I read in this book that if I have real faith, if I have saving faith, then I will make Jesus not just my Savior, he'll be my Lord. Jesus will not just be enough to save me, he'll be my Lord. How do I make sure that Jesus is my Lord? By obeying him, by doing everything that he says, by submitting to all of the requirements of being good, and that and that alone is saving faith. I believe that. When I was evangelizing my friends, I, I told them that. I remember I was in high school. I was having a conversation. A friend of mine I was evangelizing grew up as a Lutheran. And once he got this in his head, what I was saying to him, the cursed gospel, he said, so, so if, I, if I want to trust Christ, I can't just believe in Jesus. I have to give up my Red Hot Chili Peppers album? And I said, pretty much, and a whole lot of other stuff, too. He didn't trust Christ. And, and that's where I was. And then I encountered teaching 
that helped me escape from the fear of that kind of cursed gospel. The gospel that says faith plus works saves. The only genuine faith is faith plus works. Now, the varsity team would never put it that way, but that's the, the result of their teaching. They would never put it that way. And the, the theology that I'm describing that is a cursed gospel is also known as lordship theology, lordship theology. That's what we call it in our cultural context. It was known differently in Paul's cultural context, but it was the same DNA. The theology was the same as it is today. And once you know what to look for, you'll see it everywhere, even broadcast over the radio waves into our little community on a regular basis that I can tune in and get a regular dose from the varsity team of fear-based, rule-based lordship theology. A guy last hour said, boy, Pat, you have a little bit of energy around this. I said, you think? Yeah, because I was set free from that distortion of the gospel. I came to understand that I am saved by grace alone through faith. And I stay saved by grace through faith alone. Inheriting the kingdom of God means rewards, and it's a teaching that's only designed for believers. That's why Paul's bringing it up right here to this group of believers in Galatia. He's, he's bringing up now the idea of inheriting the kingdom. Rewards, that's what it's in. Rewards theology isn't taught a lot. I don't think it's taught well in our churches. And we've taught on it here. Jeremy's taught on it, and I'm teaching on it today. And we could spend probably two months going through Scripture and finding all of the Scriptures, because there are myriads, that talk about inheriting the kingdom of God. And every single one of them is talking about the rewards believers get for being faithful to Christ, or in the words of Galatians, who follow the Spirit and say no to the flesh. Last week, Paul said, believers have any choice you want to make is going to be pulled on by the flesh, the, spirit, uh, the sinful nature. There's no choice for a believer that's free from the, the pull of the Spirit and the flesh. So because that's true... We have dilemmas each and every day with our choice-making. And we can go one of two directions. And then Paul outlines, if you go this direction, these are the kinds of things that happen. If you go this direction, these are the kinds of things that happen. And if you go in the flesh direction, you forfeit your inheritance in the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.20, the God of the universe, Jesus said this, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. When I start talking to someone who's a believer about inheriting the kingdom of God and, and storing up rewards in heaven, a lot of them get kind of a little uncomfortable because that seems like some spiritual version of materialism. Like, should I be, should I be motivated by that? And I would just caution you if there's a check in your spirit about storing up treasures in heaven, don't be like Peter. Peter said to Jesus, when Jesus was saying to his disciples, I have to die, and in three days then I'll raise from the dead. If you, they're walking along, and Peter says, no, 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 Jesus. You're not going to die. And what does Jesus say? 
Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> That's the voice of the pit of hell speaking through Peter at that moment. So when Jesus is teaching something, I'd encourage you not to contradict him, not to tell him, that's not a good idea, Jesus. That doesn't sound right to me. It means that your thinking's out of alignment with God. If that doesn't sound right, it means you need to work on getting your thinking in alignment with the teaching of Jesus Christ. So let's get our thinking in line with the teaching of Jesus Christ. Those who are fulfilling the desires of their flesh or the sinful nature, those people are forfeiting their inheritance. They are squandering their inheritance and they will not have any inheritance on the other side. Because inheritance doesn't mean being saved. It means the rewards accumulated for choice-making of the believer here. Faithfulness here. Choice-making that's um, directed by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Not Jesus Christ plus, plus works, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Not hellfire. This is not hellfire. This is judgment, but it's not hellfire. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. If your house is burning down and you are trying to escape with your life, you're not taking anything with you as you plunge out the window to hopefully safety to save your life. That's what it's going to be like for Christian people who have used their choice making on this side of eternity to indulge the appetites of their sinful nature. They will stand before Jesus with nothing. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth at this judgment seat by Christians who are experiencing bitter grief. Because what, and, and I, again, you have to personalize this. This isn't, this isn't a maybe. This is a for sure. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I are going to stand in front of Jesus. This moment is our moment. We will have it. So when you have that moment with Jesus, you will have to say to him, the cost you paid for me meant nothing to me. You'll have to say that to Jesus. Worse, you'll say it with your choices. You'll stand before Jesus. Everything will be burned up. You would have lived your life in the sinful nature. And you will say to Jesus, thanks but no thanks. I mean, nobody here would have the guts to say that to Jesus, but you will because of the choices that you're making. That will happen. And, and Paul is saying, inherit rewards. Don't forfeit these rewards. The sinful nature is never worth it. 
that leads to all kinds of decay and death. It's totally not worth it. Yes, it's harder to follow the Spirit. Do it, because it leads to rewards. You will inherit the kingdom. There are plenty of Christians out there who think they can tolerate sin in their life. I just have these things, you know, and I don't like them, but they're there. If you're making a practice out of sins like these, you're forfeiting your inheritance. The prodigal son squandered his inheritance. That's the story. He comes back home and is welcomed. And the older brother, the rule keeper, the varsity team member says, that's not fair. I've done a really good job keeping all the rules. And the father says, you have. And then he says this phrase, and everything I have is yours. There is inheritance for you, older brother, that is not there for the younger brother. He has a seat at the table. He's back home. We're having a party. But he doesn't have anything. There's no inheritance for him. His story is the story of other Christians who will have nothing. Read the story of the talents that were given to the three servants. And they were to invest them. One of them didn't invest that talent. So some people who are believers will get to this judgment, the wood, hay, and stubble judgment, and they will have a ginormous treasure trove to show of rewards. I'm thinking probably like Billy Graham, right? He's an evangelist. He's led hundreds of thousands of people, maybe more, to the Lord, saving faith in Jesus Christ because of his faithfulness in preaching the gospel. And it looks like he is on track to end faithfully. And you compare my treasure chest of rewards to that treasure chest, I don't think they're going to be the same. In the story of the three talents, or the three servants with the talents, the one who was given two multiplied that, and the one who was given five multiplied that. The one who multiplied the most had the most. The one who multiplied sort of okay had sort of okay. But both of those servants who invested in the kingdom of God, they got the same commendation. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus does say, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you before my father. He's talking about this. He's talking about believers. He's talking about seeing you in the face on that day and turning his back in shame. If your theology doesn't account for that, it's, it's inept. You're missing something very big because there's a big surprise waiting for you. If you think you can make it through this life as a believer, skate in on your salvation and have everything be okay. You're not going to hell, but it's not going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. This is a crucial doctrine to help you separate the cursed gospel from the real gospel. You're saved not by works, by faith alone. But your works matter. That's what James 2 is teaching. And all kinds of other passages that we could talk to you about. It's about inheritance. It's about rewards. Paul keeps using this phrase, inherit the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. There are many 
I think probably even saved people, teachers, pastors, denominations that are about marriage equality. Gay marriage. And what they're teaching their people is that God is honored by same-sex unions. That God is honored by that. That he is pleased by that. Those teachers are forfeiting their inheritance because they are teaching their followers to indulge in sins of the flesh. Sins that indulge the sinful nature. Why do I say that? Because the, the word of God says it. I either have to pull the rug out from underneath the authority of the word of God, which many of those teachers do. Well, God didn't really mean that because God didn't know about committed relationships. That wasn't what was going on in the first century. The Bible doesn't talk about the sanctity of the relationship. It talks about the practice, the sexual practice. It's never okay in the word of God, not even one time. Why am I saying that? Because it's a special kind of sin? No. Because it's a sin that's not being called a sin. It's a sin that's being called a virtue. That's why we need clarity on the teaching. Not because we want to demonize same-sex people. That's not the point. But believing, pastoring people and denominations are convincing their flocks that the Bible honors that kind of behavior. And it does not, not even one time. And what is going to happen? Because teachers are held to a higher standard. You're going to be qualifying for many more rewards than I will because you're not teaching the Word of God. So pastors who are changing the message of the gospel and teaching people to sin, it will be bad for them in the day that we're talking about. Bad for them. They may be saved, but it will be bad for them. It will be worse for them than the people they're teaching. Ephesians 5.5. 5. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. So all these lists of all these bad things have nothing to do with staying out of hell. They have everything to do with inheriting rewards, getting rewards. Hebrews 6.12 says, Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith. And what's the next word? Endurance. Because they didn't give up. Because they didn't punch their card. Because they didn't say, I've had enough. This whole flesh-spirit thing is too much. I'm giving in. Giving up. You get rewards when you last. Revelation 21.7, All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So again, inheriting the kingdom of God. I hope you can leave today with the assurance that that's talking to believers about rewards, not trying to save you from hell by being good. Okay? Next blank on your outline, fruits of the Spirit. So it's our job to follow the Spirit. It's his job to produce the fruit. That's what Jesus taught. John 15, 5, Jesus says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Another translation would say, Abide, those who abide in me and I abide in them. And then he says, For apart from me you can do nothing. Because there aren't, two, there aren't more than two choices. You're either indulging the sinful nature 
or you're following the Spirit. There's no middle ground. So apart from Christ, there is nothing. Abiding in Christ means spending much time in relationship with Jesus. The sermon discussion questions, which are online on our website under the Sunday morning tab, and they're also on our welcome desk, gets into the implications of a relationship with Jesus that's based on love and not fear. It talks more about that, and if you'd like to reflect more deeply on the implications of being free from condemnation, then the only motivation that's really left for you, if you are convinced there's nothing you can do once you believe Jesus to lose your salvation, then fear is not a motivator for you. You're not afraid of going to hell because you become convinced it's impossible. So the relationship that you have with Jesus is based on love, not on fear, unless you count the fear of having no inheritance because you've indulged a sinful nature your whole life as a believer. That concerned Paul. You can read it in some of the other letters. He said, I hope I haven't worked this hard for nothing. I hope I can finish the race well. What's he talking about, being saved? No, he's talking about inheritance. And he knows the bar is supremely high for him because he's an apostle. He's not just a pastor or a teacher. He's an apostle. His standard is super high. And so Paul is saying, i got to clear that bar, and I hope I do. I hope I've been faithful enough to inherit a full blessing from the Lord. And I believe that Scripture gives us every confidence that he did. John 15, 7, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. You're in step with the Spirit. You start producing fruit. Verse 24 of chapter 5, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross, his cross, and crucified them there. Echoes of Galatians 2.20. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not, us, believers, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Why? Because you'll go to hell? No, because those are fruits of the flesh. You'll forfeit your inheritance. Invite the Spirit into every area of your choice-making to secure your inheritance. What you eat, what you drink, what you watch, what you wear, what you buy, how you speak, what you listen to, how you work, how you play, how you help, how you relate. The Spirit has guidance for you in each and every one of those areas of your life. And he's guiding you. He has a way for you to go. Will you yield to his direction in your life? Are you mulling over the words of your Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you spending time in the Word of God? Do you carry around an awareness of his presence in your life with you from your day-to-day choice-making? When you're growling at your kids or screaming under the hood of your car or being angry that somebody has a nicer thing than you? Are you reflecting on the Spirit's voice in those moments, directing you a, a different way? Because he's there and he's guiding you if you can listen. Pray for the discernment, the sensitivity, the, the tender heart to hear the Spirit's direction because he's always guiding, always listening. We should always be listening. He's always uh, directing. Our last outline blanks. Do not devour one another, but rather follow the law of Christ. And I think Paul's using this phrase, law of Christ, a little tongue-in-cheek, right? He's having a little bit of 
fun with the varsity team, <coughs> which he's been thrashing this entire book. He said, let's not be conceited, which means like smug or self-important. Uh, let's not become provocative with one another. Let's not become jealous of one another. That echoes verse 15 of this chapter. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. I asked for service if any of them had ever heard of this book. Like nobody had ever heard of this book. It was surprising to me. Have any of you read this book? Do you know this book? It's called Millions of Cats. If you knew the book, the cover would give it away right away, and you would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. It's, you'll, you should read this book. It's a children's book, and it's disturbing. <laughs> it was written in, in 1929. It's not racist. It's not that kind of disturbing. The concepts are actually disturbing. I'm convinced that this was inspired by Galatians 5, 15, because this can happen in the church. Except in this story, the carnage and devouring that happens is really sanitized and clean. There's not even a trace left of the hundreds of cats, the thousands of cats, the millions and billions and trillions of cats that are in this story. But in our churches, when we bite and devour one another, we leave human wreckage in our wake, right? Broken hearts and broken lives. People who are soured on church and church people there's a huge human cost to biting and devouring one another. Paul says, believing people don't do that to each other. And then he spends the rest of chapter 6 guiding his people in how to live out the law of Christ, which is the law of love. The law of Christ is the law of love. It's the, the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then love people like yourself. Paul even talks about that law in Galatians earlier. The law of Christ is the law of love. To love is to receive reward, inheritance. But wonderfully, when you're loving others, there is blessing in this life. In real time, you get blessed by expressing the love of Christ to other people, which is wonderful. Because what you get when you indulge the sinful nature is a season of pleasure which leads to much regret later, right? The harvesting and planting that he talks about, you, you get what you plant. If you are planting, if you are sowing, if you are choosing to the flesh, to the sinful nature, you're going to harvest, believer, a lot. And unfortunately, just like when you plant, you, when you harvest, you're hoping that you're going to get lots of ears of corn, right? Not just one, right? If you got one on that stalk, you'd be like, seriously? I'm using different seed, right? Because this one seed was supposed to produce lots of ears of corn. That's how sowing to the spirit or to the flesh works. You get more than you planted, and you harvest it longer than it took to plant it, unless you have a giant chopper. So the, the sowing and reaping is a, is a principle not just for unbelievers, it's for believers too. And so what I regret is that there are some of you who love Jesus with all your heart and you've been making choices to honor the Spirit ever since you knew Jesus. And when the Spirit convicts you of sin, you say, okay, I'm going to stop that and I'm going to move in another direction. 
plenty of you out there like that. But unfortunately, there was a huge chunk of your life where you were sowing to the sinful nature, right? And unfortunately, you're still harvesting. You're still harvesting because God is not mocked. People get what they give. They harv- This isn't karma. This is about the natural outflowing of the choice-making process. And I'm grieved by that. I'm grieved that our life before Christ has a legacy that echoes into our faith life. But some of you know that that's true, that you're still harvesting from that sowing of that season of your life. But God is merciful, and he can even resurrect dead things, broken relationships, people who are in trouble because of that old life of choice-making. God is not thwarted by that. He's not even thwarted by death. He can rescue lost people, and he does it all the time, and he did it with you. He can do it with your kids. He can do it with your loved ones. He can do it with the fear that's in your life about the the stuff that's going to get broken. So Paul encourages his audience, live free. And my hope is that you can take the book of Galatians and you can start setting people free all over the place. I would hope that you would do that. That if you encounter Christians who are fear-based and stuck in rulemaking, that you could say, let's study Galatians together. It's even online, and there's these sermon discussion questions, and let's just talk about it. Because you can set men and women free from fear and unleash their ability to inherit the kingdom of God.